you have your Bible this morning, turn to the book of Amos. Um, we were originally going to recognize our teachers for our life groups and Wednesday night teachers. We're going to push that off a week. So if you'll note that next Sunday morning we will be recognizing um, our teachers for our Sunday morning programs and our Wednesday night programs. Uh, every generation needs a prophetic voice. Every generation needs someone who reminds us of how God sees our lives. Um, I've talked about this in the weeks previous to this, um, but the tendency in our lives as our hearts drift away from God is we begin to see uh, God from our perspective. And what God wants to do in renewing our spiritual lives is he wants us to see life from his perspective. Uh, Amos was a prophetic voice for his day. Um, I want to read this morning, we don't have that many verses, but I want to read uh, some of what God spoke through Amos. And it's in Amos chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 18. And we're going to read through verse 24. And it says, Therefore the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this. I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong verse. verse that was verse 16. I'm thinking, I don't even recognize this. <laughs> verse 18, I'm sorry. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. And then verse 24, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Verse 24 is one of the uh, prominent verses to all of Amos's writings. He says, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. If you have any sense of American history, when you hear Amos 5.24, there ought to be one person that comes to your mind. And some of you, quite honestly, probably aren't old enough for this, and that is Martin Luther King Jr., one of the verses that Martin Luther King Jr. came back to time and time again in the midst of the civil rights movement was Amos 5, verse 24, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Dr. Martin Luther King was a prophetic voice in America in his day in the 1960s. We as a nation have just recently, I believe in April, commemorated 
uh, the 50th anniversary of his death as he was assassinated on that second floor of that motel in Memphis, Tennessee, 50 years ago this last April. Martin Luther King was the most prominent person for those years in the 1960s in the midst of the civil rights movement. He stood against discrimination and the injustice of segregation. Um, Probably if you're my children's generation, you don't really even understand maybe where we've come from in America, at least in my lifetime. Uh, But in my lifetime, there were signs on public facilities that would say, whites only. I mean, if that just, that ought to just like, like, seriously. No, but that's in my lifetime. There were places that African Americans, bathrooms and public facilities and restaurants, they were not allowed to go into. Uh, I shared this in my life group this morning. I'm so old. I can remember when sec- the, the schools in Wichita Falls, Texas were integrated. That was in second grade for Amy and I. In first grade, the African Americans on the east side of Wichita Falls, they had their schools. And let me just be honest, us little white people on the other side of town had our schools. But 1970, the schools were integrated. Maybe you have a similar story. And if you were the preacher this morning, you get to tell your story. But I'm the preacher this morning, so I'm telling my story. One of the things I want you to note about Martin Luther King is that he was a Baptist preacher. Amen? And his maybe most famous speech, I Have a Dream, was delivered on August 28, 1963, for Jobs and Freedom, I believe is the whole title. And Dr. Martin Luther King stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and delivered that speech that I would say to you was part political speech, was part Baptist sermon. And in fact, I had a professor in seminary and he listed his top ten sermons of all time. That includes Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost and other great uh, Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of an angry God. And he listed in his top ten Martin Luther King's sermon, I Have a Dream. Amy and I, last fall, as I've already alluded to, had the opportunity to go uh, to Washington, D.C. And this was the day, must have been an afternoon, we, were, we went to the Lincoln Memorial a couple times and uh, stood there. And I knew that's where Dr. King had delivered the speech. Uh, And I I heard some people talking. (laughs) And uh, they happened to be African-American. And they were kind of talking and they were walking. And there was a spot they were going to. And I thought, "What, what, what is that about? And actually on one of the lower levels, there is uh, inscribed in the marble steps a commemoration of the very spot where Dr. King delivered the great speech, I have a dream. 
uh, I stood there. I took a picture. Actually, one of the last mornings, uh, I went on a run, and the run did not take me where I intended it to be. I ended up at the Lincoln Memorial and stood there again on that last morning. We were in Washington, D.C. If I was just being honest, I had to ride the subway home. But anyhow, that's not the point. I'm back to the hotel of several miles. I ended up really where, yeah, that's not a part of what we want to talk about. I went back and watched the video footage of that about 17-minute speech the other day. And um, if there were a text for his sermon that day, it was Amos 5.24. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. We kind of see the end clips of that great speech. But earlier... Dr. King begins to talk and he says, and people ask me, how long will you protest? How long will the marches go on? How long will this last? And in typical Baptist preacher style, he begins this whole series of, we will march until, blah, 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 and he fills in the blank. We will demonstrate until, and he, you know, he's got, but one of the times he says, and we will demonstrate until, and he quotes in that sermon Amos 5.24, we will march until justice runs down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Later, Dr. King would include this verse in his um, epic treatise on the civil rights movement, letter from a Birmingham jail. Amos 5.24. You see, Dr. King's call to America in the midst of segregation and injustice in our society, he drew from his roots as a Baptist pastor in the scripture that says, God Almighty, who is a God of righteousness and justice, calls for us to live the same and he was a prophetic voice in our day. In the midst of a day where we are embarrassed even to speak of the things that went on. But it was a part somewhat of our culture and our society. But the prophetic voice came to call us. Not simply as Americans, but as Christians who served a God of righteousness and justice, that our lives would demonstrate this, that we would let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. My point for telling you all of that is for you to understand today that every generation needs a prophetic voice so that when our hearts have drifted away from God and we lose God's perspective of life, that we are reminded, we are renewed, not how we see God, but how God sees us. Because the reality is, when our hearts begin to drift from God, we begin to see biblical principles and practices through our own eyes, and then we project those upon God. Let me say that again. 
when our hearts have drifted away from God, we begin to see biblical principles and practices from our own perspective, and then we project that upon God. The prophetic voice comes to say, we're looking at it all wrong. It's not about how I see the biblical principles and what that says to me about God. It's how God sees those biblical principles and practices. And it it matters how God sees my life, not how I see God. But when our hearts have drifted, we begin to see from our own perspective biblical principles and practices. And somehow in the midst of that... (laughs) fog, filter, we project on God how we see him. Renewal, part of renewal is simply us returning to see life from God's perspective. Verse 18 There's kind of one verse, I know I've already camped out on verse 24, and we'll come back to that. But there's really one verse that captures what Amos is speaking about in this section of Scripture. It's verse 18. And I kind of want us to to look at it today and see how the rest of the verses fit in its context The prophet says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? The people in Amos' day were very religious people, even though their hearts had drifted from God. They continued to practice religion. We'll talk about that in just a moment. They still held... Uh, biblical principles and ideas, and one of them is contained here. Actually, actually, interestingly enough, I shouldn't try to say that again. This is the first time chronologically in the Scripture that the phrase is ever used, the day of the Lord. You see it from here on out. This is the first time chronologically in the Bible that the Hebrews ever talked about the day of the Lord. And I don't know what you think about when you hear the phrase day of the Lord. But in the Hebrews' mind, they thought about the day that God was going to show up and was going to make all things right. He was going to fix all the problems. Now, think about that. I mean, the Jewish people would have thought about this and they would have thought about a God um, who... Someday we'll pass judgment on our lives and on nations. Now think about what this implies. It implies that if there is a day someday, that quite honestly what we observe in life and the Hebrews observe, that day was not today. And what I mean by that is God waits. He does not immediately judge us for our lives. It's When I commit sin, God does not immediately just go, boop, he's done. That's like lightning bolt, you know, that kind of thing. No, God in his mercy and grace, 
He waits. He doesn't immediately respond. Will God respond? Oh, he must respond. Will God respond today? Many times he will not. And the Jewish people began to talk about that day in which God was going to show up. And God was going to come in righteousness and justice. And he was going to set everything in order. He was going to fix everything and make everything right. And they waited for that day. But it implies that God does not immediately judge the unrighteousness in our lives and in our world. But in mercy, he waits. For the Hebrew person... In Amos' day, they would have believed that it would be a day of victory, blessing, and light. And even though their hearts had drifted from God, and they were not where they should be, they still talked about it, because he talks about there in verse 18, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. They were not where they needed to be, but they, they talked with their mouths about that day that God will show up and make all things right. He's going to come in justice and in righteousness. You see, their hearts had deceived them, and they were blind to reality. They did not see life as it really was. They saw it from their perspective. This theological truth, the day of the Lord, they saw it from their perspective and they projected on God what then then they believed about them seeing at least just this one theological concept, the day of the Lord. They saw it from their perspective and they projected on God what they want and what they wanted to see through that. Until the prophetic voice shows up at their place of worship and the pronouncement is made by the prophetic voice, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord for what good is the day of the Lord to you? The word woe there, I, don't, I really ought to know this, whether that's like a Hebrew word. What is that? But, and I should have, I'm sorry. Get back with me next week, all right? I'll figure that out. I don't know what that looks like in the Hebrew scripture. It may just be a Hebrew word. But it is an expression of doom. Woe. Aim, uh, Isaiah would say, and woe is me, for I am undone. When he came into the presence of God, woe is me. There is a sense of doom, of darkness. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for it, what good is the day of the Lord to you? They looked at it from their perspective, and they filtered and projected upon God what then they, they saw in him and what they wanted and they said, oh, we can't wait for the day of the Lord. The prophet comes to say, you don't want the day of the Lord. Mm-mm. Because it's not going to be good for you. I think that was big news to them. Because they had deceived themselves. They had, been, they had become blind to reality. What the prophet was communicating that is, yes, it is true that God is a God of righteousness, but as a God of righteousness, God will judge 
all sin. The Hebrew people looked at it in their day, their hearts who had drifted from God, they looked at the concept of the day of the Lord and they said, oh, we can't wait until God gives our enemies their due. They're going to get it when God shows up. And the prophet said, you don't want God to show up because God is a God of righteousness and justice and when he shows up, he has to judge all sin, including your sin. You will not be saved from that day. God will bring his judgment. The prophet was communicating that God does not come to work on our behalf. He comes to work on his behalf. It does not really matter how we filter spiritual principles and practices and project them on God and what we want God to be. God is who he is. And when he comes, he will be a God of righteousness. And so he said, you expect this to be a good day, not going to be a good day. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. And the Hebrews spoke in uh, pictures. And he said in verse 19, it will be as though a man fled from a lion and somehow he escapes the lion and he meets a bear. No, you're doomed. You thought you'd made it. Or in that next phrase, as though he went into the house. And so he's, I don't know if he's running from the lion or the bear, but he makes it in the house and he shuts the door and goes, Woo, I made it. And a snake bites him. No, judgment is inescapable, he's saying. You're not going to flee from the hand of God. He leans on the wall and the serpent bites him. Verse 20, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? The people in Amos' day saw the spiritual principle from their own perspective and they projected on God what they wanted, but that was not the reality. God gives his assessment, verses 21 through 23. God lets them know how he sees it in verses 21 through 23. It implies in the words that are written there that the prophet spoke. That the people believe because of their feast days, their sacred assemblies, their burnt offerings, their grain offerings, their fattened peace offerings, their songs that they sang. They believe because they were in a covenant relationship with God and they continued the spiritual practices that God was obligated to take care of them and give them a pass. That's not, not the case. You see, they saw their spiritual practices from their perspective. And they projected it on God. God's obligated to me because I do all of these things for him. But when the prophetic voice comes, he tells them how God sees it. Verses 
And God says, quite honestly, in some of the harshest words in all the Old Testament, God says, I hate, I despise your feast days. Those days that you were prescribed in the book of Leviticus to do all of those things, and you continue to do those things. He says, I hate it. I despise it. He says, I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Those times even beyond the feast days that you gather together for some spiritual cause or an occasion. He said, I do not savor that. It says in verse 22, though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. He includes burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings. You can go back to the book of Leviticus, and those are the three categories of, of, the, fee, of the, the sacrifices that they were obligated by the Mosaic law to bring to God. Not only that, but your worship in verse 23. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. All of those things that in their mind, from their perspective, they used to say, because of this, God is obligated to me. They projected back to the day of the Lord. No, I'm doing all these things, therefore God, the day of the Lord will be a day of light and victory and blessing. Hmm. But that's not God's perspective. That's not his evaluation. God did not approve of their religious practice. And it, then it comes to verse 24. Why? Why? What was so wrong with what they were doing? Their lives did not line up with who God was. They were living lives of injustice and unrighteousness. That's why the challenge, the, the prophetic challenge at the end of this section is, despite all of that, that contra contrastive woo, conjunction there. I can't say that again either. But, all of that but, what is the challenge? Let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Justice and righteousness. Let your lives line up with who God is, not who you believe he is. He was saying, let God's ways flood your lives so that they are overwhelming the justice and the righteousness. Justice. I believe in these verses, and, and actually justice or injustice is, is a common theme. Um, in Amos, he speaks often, uh, particularly in chapter 5, verse 7, you who turn justice to wormwood, what was supposed to be sweet is bitter. He talks about injustice in the, in the courts, in the legal system of his day in verse 10 and following. Verse 15, hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gates. Uh, justice is the, um, let's see how we describe this, is um, justice is society's system of making sure everyone is defended and uh, is protected 
particularly those who do not have a voice or other means to protect themselves. In Amos' day, the wealthy were able to rig the justice system in their favor. But the very sense of the justice system was to make sure every person got a fair shake. But it wasn't happening in Amos' day. And so justice is the term here in this verse that speaks of society's responsibility, particularly to take care of those who have no other way of taking care of themselves as far as justice and what is fair and what is right. He talks about that. These parallel thoughts in verse 24, but let justice run down like floodwaters. But then he says that the second phrase, in, in righteousness like a mighty stream. So justice is society's responsibility. Righteousness was their personal responsibility to do the right thing, whether it was to their advantage or not. Righteousness is that word that speaks about our lives lining up with the character and the laws of God to do the right thing, live in righteousness. They were responsible for their society and how they dealt with justice, but they were also responsible for righteousness of how they conducted their own personal business. It was, righteousness was a term that spoke about how they rightly related with their fellow human beings. When our hearts drift from God, we see spiritual principles and practices from our perspective and we project those upon God so that we see God as we want him to be or what we, we want him to be. The prophetic voice comes from God's perspective to look at those same principles and practices from God's perspective and project those principles and practices on us so that our lives might live as in line with who God is. And so several months ago when I started looking and I read and reread the book of Amos, what is it all about? And all these sermons are under the title, Get Real get right. The reason the challenge in our day is get real is because we've got to see life as it really is. Not from our perspective because our hearts have led us astray and we are deceived, but we need to see life from God's perspective. That's reality as God sees it. And then when we see, when we get real and we see it from God's perspective, then the challenge is then Get right. 
then the challenge is my life must line up with who God is. Not how I see God, but how God sees me. How do we do that? My contention this morning is that part of spiritual renewal is flipping our spiritual lives so that no longer do we project on God what we want, but we see from God's perspective what he projects on us. How? How do we do that? How do we, in the midst of our day, keep our hearts from drifting? How is it that we don't become a part of the fog of our culture and that our, our faith simply... Because that, that's what's happening in Amos. They begin, their hearts begin to drift from God, but then as a society, they begin to drift away from God in their practices and decades pass and they end up somewhere where they... It's unbelievable where they ended up until God sends the prophetic voice to say, no, 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 you're... You're deceiving yourselves. You can't see life as it really is. And, and, but I, I want to say practically today, what does that mean to you? As in just a few minutes, we're going to be walking out of here. What does that mean to you? How do you see God, life from God's perspective? How do you keep your heart? And there's probably a number of ways, but all I know is that our, for our lives to be constantly in God's written words. That's all I know. When the world constantly bombards us with their message and their perspective, how do we stay straight? You read, you meditate, you memorize, you listen, you study, so that God's word becomes ingrained in our minds and in our hearts. And so that when we see something that our society says is okay, immediately our heart says, no, that's not right because it doesn't line up with the word of God. People, I'm, I'm telling you, this is all I know. And it's not easy, it's not simple, it's not quick. It means every day you must be in God's word as, a, as an anchor to keep your heart from drifting away from God. Byron, I'm supposed to know this. Psalm 119, how does, um, uh, verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. All I know is that the Bible becomes an anchor that keeps us from drifting in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives so that we see God, we see life not as we see it, but as God sees it. I'm telling you, there's not an easy way, but if you want to stay straight, if you want to stay right, then you read, you meditate, you study, you listen, you memorize. There's probably some other words I'm forgetting. 
day by day so that it becomes ingrained in your mind and in your heart and in your life. And somehow we begin to flip life so that we see it from God's side because his words are so a part of us. And we take those spiritual principles and practices and we allow them to project down on us as God sees it. You can either respond this morning, amen, or oh me, or woe is me. But if you want to say amen, say amen this morning. That's it. That means that's the end of the sermon. Um, And what you do with it will be your choice from this day forward. If you'll stand with me this morning, Brother Shane's going to come. And let me pray. As you have decisions to make, uh, we'll be at the front to receive you. Father, today, um, we thank you that you loved us enough to send word. And that many times those words were recorded thousands of years ago. And they were compiled as a record of what you thought and what you wanted to communicate. I pray that we would be faithful followers of yours that would spend day by day and moment by moment allowing the word of God to change us. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Before the throne of